So I don't know if you're anything like me, um, New Year's resolutions are kind of hard, kind of an unhealthy relationship with New Year's resolutions. Um, you know, the year's coming up, calendar's about to change over, and there's that dreaded question, what is your New Year's resolution, right? And... You know, you have this very limited window of opportunity, really, to make the decision about what your resolution is going to be, right? Because a couple of weeks go by, it's not a new year anymore, right? It's old, and it's like, I can't, I can't make a decision now. It's too late. I missed my chance. And so there's this very limited window of opportunity where you're like, got to make my New Year's resolution. Got to make myself better, make my, you know, fix all the things that were busted and, like, you know, move forward. And, you know, so there, there can be this kind of rosy-eyed optimism. You know, everything's going to be perfect this year. I'm going to totally conquer all the things that have held me down or, or whatever it is, all those dreams that I've been, you know, harboring and hoping would come to pass, this is going to be my year, you know, there can be this kind of rosy-eyed optimism. Or you might be on the opposite end of the spectrum and think, here we go again. What's the point? Just another year, another useless commitment, another resolution that I'm just going to fail at by February, you know, what's, what's the point of this? Let's just get over with, right? And I think in my, in my life, uh, in, as it relates to these New Year's resolutions, I, I end up either planning something, picking something that's so like outlandish that there's no way I'm going to achieve it, or that's so meager and silly that it doesn't even really matter. Like, okay, my New Year's, re- my New Year's resolution is to go to bed at 10 tonight. Okay, so I'll go to bed at 10 tonight, but like I'm not sure I'm that much better for it, right? It's just one day. Um, and so you're either like way over here, where you've got this super high, lofty goal that you almost certainly will fail at, or you're picking something that, that doesn't matter at all. Uh, and so, there we go. And I think the, the truth is what tends to happen is that based on the goals that we set, and the things that we want to do, and the things we want to change, and the new habits we want to pick up, we either end up succeeding at those goals and feeling like, look at me, I'm doing pretty good. We're kind of like become a little bit self-righteous about it. Like, man, I've been to the gym, you know, every day, every week for this past six months. I'm, you know, look how good I'm doing, right? And so we end up kind of self-righteous, kind of, you know, self-promoting, a little bit arrogant. Or we fail like we always do. And then we're like, oh, woe is me. I'm the worst person in the world. What's wrong with me? I'm such a loser, right? And so then we end up kind of in this this self-pitying, self-loathing kind of place. And so we're either almost celebrating our own righteousness on the one hand because of how great we're doing, or we're like just throwing a little self-pity party over here because we can't do anything right, and why do we even bother with New Year's resolutions, right? And either one of those extremes is not a healthy, not a healthy place, not a healthy way to interact with uh, a New Year's resolution. Now, but the truth is, no matter how hard this resolution idea is, resolve is essential for living the Christian life. Now, the, the fact that we do that as the year turns over and stuff is a little arbitrary. There's nothing magic about one day versus another just because we slap January 1st on it. It's not any different than today, right? Just because it's December 31st. So that's a little bit arbitrary, um, but in our minds it gives us kind of a marker of kind of a new start. But the truth is that living with resolve is essential to following Jesus. We won't be able to follow Jesus uh, effectively or faithfully if we live without resolve. Because resolve really is just a firm determination, a settled 
decision, a purpose in our hearts and minds. And the life that's lived without resolve, the life that's lived without that kind of settled determination to move forward is aimless and powerless. The truth is holiness, if that's what we're talking about, is growing in godliness and taking a next step in our relationship with God, doesn't happen by accident. Nobody drifts toward holiness, right? We drift away from it. We drift toward self. We drift toward vice and sin and habits that are probably not healthy or helpful or glorifying to God. That's the drift. So if we're going to move toward the Lord, if we're going to see growth in our relationship with God, if we're going to see him change us, it's going to have to happen on purpose, right? Because we are living in a resolute way. But we've got to approach it in the right way. Uh, or we'll either end up, we'll end up in one or the other of those extremes. Either succeeding and thinking that we're all of that, or failing and thinking that we're total losers and throwing ourselves a pity party. Um, and I think we'll learn a healthy approach to living with resolve in the book of 2 Thessalonians, which is a fun name to say, 2 Thessalonians, I meant to look up the page number in that Pew Story Bible. I always call it a Pew Bible. That is my old Baptist heritage coming up. I'm sorry. There's no pew in here. They're just chairs. Anyway, um, the green and brown Bibles. Um, anyway, so 2 Thessalonians is toward the back uh, of the New Testament. It's one of the uh, letters of Paul, but it's, it's toward the, the back of that bunch. So if you come to Hebrews, you've gone a little bit too far. Go like a couple of pages back, all right? So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, we're going to focus today on verses 11 and 12. And we're gonna, we'll see uh, in, in these verses the, the way to approach not just New Year's resolutions, but living with resolve and determination and purpose. And we'll see that the way to approach this is to live with resolve by the power of God for his glory. All right? Live with resolve by his power for his glory. Now, before we read these verses, let me give you just a little bit of a background on where they come from. So the Apostle Paul planted the church in Thessalonica uh, during his second missionary journey, but he was forced to leave um, pretty, pretty early after planting it because of opposition to his ministry from the outside. And so he left uh, and kind of left the church in this kind of you know, formative stage with some local leaders um, and he was concerned for the church's well-being, and so he wrote one letter to them called First, that we call First Thessalonians. He wrote a letter to them with some teaching and encouragement, specifically about the, the return of Christ, that Jesus is going to return, uh, and, um, and so, that, so their suffering and, and, and their enduring of suffering will yield a, a good result because Jesus is going to come back. Now, he sends this letter, 2 Thessalonians, shortly after the first letter because he learned from Timothy. So he sent Timothy with that letter to the church, and then Timothy comes back with this message, basically, that the church is confused, uh, and they're, they're worried and, and anxious concerning the possibility that Jesus returned and they missed it. So there's apparently some anxiety on their part that maybe, what if Jesus already came and we just weren't a part of it? We didn't know that it happened. And so he writes the second letter to the Thessalonians to kind of uh, calm their fears and to answer some of their questions with clarity on uh, Christ's return and what that would look like. 
and to encourage their faith in the midst of persecution and suffering. And so these verses come early in the letter. Uh, All he's done so far in this letter before he gets to our verses today is to commend them for their faithful endurance of suffering in verses 3 and 4. Uh, And then he assures them that God's righteous judgment at the return of Jesus will result in their uh, favor because of their faith. And so verses 5 through 10 are really about the return of Christ and the judgment that he'll bring upon uh, the unbelieving world, but that it will work out for their favor and for their glory with Christ because they're trusting in him. And so then he basically expresses this, this prayer. Uh, to them. And so uh, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the prayer that he offers, that he says, we pray this way for you. And there's these three aspects of this prayer, things that we glean from this prayer. There's that, that, that Christians, followers of Jesus, are to live with resolve by God's power for God's glory. All right, so that's what we're going to see unfold here. Uh, so the, the, the command or the expectation to live with resolve is really just assumed. Uh, it's not a specific instruction or admonition in this text, but, uh, but Paul mentions in verse 11 every resolve for good and every work of faith, and he's praying that God would, uh, would bring those things about, right? That he would, uh, that he would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. So there's this assumption on Paul's part that the, Thessal- that the Thessalonian Christians have purposed in their hearts to live righteously. They have purposed to live faithful, resolute lives. And so I think it's just the expected disposition, if you will, of a follower of Jesus that he will live a resolute life. There's intentionality, there's purposefulness behind the way that a Christian is to live his life. We don't just wander. We don't just go from day to day. We don't just follow uh, and just drift uh, toward godliness. We live with intentionality and with purpose. So when he says there uh, that, that he prays that the Lord would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith, I don't think those are really different things. I think they're kind of just different expressions of the same reality. So uh, and I think work of faith is kind of a, an explanation of the resolve for good because the good that they're resolving to do is a, is, a, is a work that's fueled by their faith, right? And so Paul himself said in Romans 14 that whatever is not from faith is sin. And so the idea being that what we do, the decisions we make, the actions that we take that come from that place of conviction before God, are, that come from faith in God, are good works. And so when we purpose in our hearts to do good, when we purpose in our hearts to follow the Lord or to grow in godliness or to serve a neighbor, when we purpose in our hearts to do those things, those are uh, both a work of faith and a resolve for good, all right? So 
the prayer is that God would fulfill every resolve for good. So every purpose that they make in their hearts for good, to work from faith for God's glory and the good of others, uh, he prays that God would fulfill those things. So the first thing to see here is simply that as we consider New Year's resolutions, Christians are expected to live lives of resolve. It's just a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So resolutions shouldn't be something that we do one time a year, right? We shouldn't only make a resolution as the year is turning over into a new year, right? We should live lives of resolve every day. And when we become aware of sin in our lives, we should resolve to do away with it. When we become aware of, of a challenge or a call that God has placed in our lives or, or on our hearts, something to take up, we resolve to do it. We resolve and commit to grow in that way. And so we are to live lives of resolve, where we are regularly pursuing faith-fueled purposes for holiness, for growth in godliness. So live with resolve. It's just the basic assumption and expectation of the Christian life. If you're going to say, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior, it also means I need to follow him. And that happens on purpose. It will not happen by accident. So we need to live with resolve. But here's how to do that. We're to live with resolve by God's power. We're to live with resolve by God's power and not our own. You can see that in verse 11 where, he said, where his prayer for them is that God would make you worthy of his calling. We pray that God would make you worthy of his calling. So to know what that calling is, you have to look up uh, just a few verses above it. So in verse 5, he talks about the kingdom of God. He says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So the very reign of God, the very kingdom and kingship of God is what we're, what we're being called to and that we might become worthy of that. And then down in verse 10, he speaks of the glory that's to come. He says in verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So this calling that he's talking about is a call to, to participate in the kingdom of God and to be a part of the glory of Christ when he returns and to share in that glory and be glorified with him. And so this is a high and lofty and glorious calling that he's talking about. And his prayer is that God would make you worthy of this calling of the calling of his kingdom, of the calling of his glory, that God would make you worthy of it. So the second thing to point out there is, that, is what he means by worthy. Because I don't think he means that we're going to get to a point where we deserve to be a part of the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. It's not about deserving. It's not, it's not worthy in that sense. It's deserving, excuse me, it's worthy in the sense uh, of, uh, of, of, of appropriate of what's fitting, right? So we, we want to be worthy of the kingdom of God in the sense that we respond to his kingdom and his glory in a, in a fitting way. So if you have an important guest coming over for dinner, 
you're probably not going to feed him ramen noodles on a paper plate because that would not be worthy of your important guest, right? You're going to cook something a little nicer. You're probably going to give it to him on your best dishes, right? So you want to, an offering to be worthy of your guest. And it's that kind, that sense, I think, that he's talking about, that God would make you worthy of his calling, I think means that God would work in your lives to such an extent that you would live in a fitting and appropriate way in light of the calling that he's given. He's, he's called you to be a part of his kingdom. He's called you to participate in the glory of Christ, and that takes a certain response. There's a certain attitude of reverence and seriousness and holiness that we respond to with that. And so it's important that we don't see worthiness as that we're earning something. That God, God's not making us worthy of his kingdom by make, making us improve ourselves enough that suddenly we've now earned a place at his uh, at, at the table or a place in his family. So one way that I think you can apply that reality in the making of resolutions, hopefully this will be something you can kind of uh, remember and, and, and might be helpful to you. Don't make resolutions so that. Make resolutions because of. So a so that resolution would be something like this. I'm going to read my whole Bible this year so that God will be more pleased with me or accept me more. Right? We're not going to read the Bible because it's going to earn something for us. We're going to become more deserving somehow of God's favor. A because of resolution would look something like this. I will read the Bible this year because it is appropriate that as an adopted child of God, I should want to hear the voice of my Father. And he speaks to me in the Scriptures. So I'm going to read the Scriptures because it's the Word of God, and I'm one of His, and it's, it's just fitting that I would go to Him in the Word and spend time there and learn from Him. Not because of something I think it's going to earn me or, or, or gain me or a status I think it might attain for me, but because of realities that are already true. Because God has adopted me as His child, I will spend time listening to His voice in the Scriptures. A so-that resolution might look like I will stop eating so much junk food so that God will bless my life more, right? So that God will like me a little better, right? God won't be so ashamed of me. We have those kind of ideas, I think. That God is, not, God is annoyed by us. We're aggravated by our constant failures. And so I just need to do this thing so that I can kind of earn his approval again. That's a so-that way to approach a resolution. So eating, you know, committing to eat less junk food is not a bad thing. But let's approach it in the right way. So a because of approach to that might be something like this. I will stop eating so much junk food because my heart is satisfied in Jesus and I don't need the phony, fleeting pleasure that I get from comfort food. Right? Because the reality is Jesus is all that I need. The reality is Jesus is the bread of life because I have that. I have access to Jesus as the bread of life because that's the reality. It's fitting for me, appropriate for me to, to push aside any lesser satisfaction that I pursue. And if that means lessening, lessening or cutting out junk food, then that's a great way to go about it. So, 
just maybe the, I hope that's a helpful way to think about this. Don't think about making a resolution for what it might earn you or like, is this going to make me more, you know, like make God love me or like me a little bit more? That's not, that's not the reality. That's not the reality of the gospel. The reality of the gospel is you sin, you bring your mess to God and he blesses you anyway. He gives you life and hope and peace and joy and an eternity and a future with him that you didn't deserve. That's the, that's the good news. So live out of that. When you're making these purposes, these commitments, these resolutions, remember the gospel. Don't forget who you are because of what God has done in your life. That so that resolution uh, can slip into nothing more than pagan religion, right? If I do this thing, then God will give me that thing. So we're just sort of cajoling God to get what we want. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. That's, that's what everybody wants. That's what every pagan religion thinks. If we just do these certain rituals and routines, we'll appease the gods, and the gods will give us what we need, right? That's not how Christianity works. Because resolutions are gospel-rooted, gratitude-fueled obedience. That ought to be our goal. So God is making us worthy of this calling, not in the sense that we deserve it or that we've earned it, but in the sense that our lives more and more become a fitting and an appropriate response to the grace that he's revealed to us. And then the second thing he prays is that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. That God would fulfill your resolve for good. Notice it's not make a commitment and then just try really stinking hard. It's God that's going to fulfill the resolve for good. It's God that's going to fulfill the work of faith. So if you purpose in your heart to grow, if you purpose in your heart to become more holy or to see your relationship with God increase, if you purpose in your heart to starve sin, right, if you make those purposes in your heart, you must rely on the power of God to achieve them. It won't happen in our own strength, which is why we make the commitment on January 1st, and by February 28th, it's gone. It's done. We're past it. We've given up on it because we're trying in our own strength. We need to rely on the power of God, which means an awareness of our limitations, which we don't like to talk about, but you've got them. They're there. God made you with limitations. Even before the fall, by the way, limitations ain't just a result of sin. God made Adam and Eve limited. So before sin ever came into the world, we are limited, finite creatures because we need to remember that we're not God. God is God and we're not. We have limits that he doesn't have. He has capacities far beyond anything that we would ever hope to attain to. And we need to be aware of our limitations and aware of the limitless resources available to us in Christ. And we need to just plead with God to give them to us. Lord, help me to do this today. Help me by your strength. Help me in your power to accomplish this goal or, uh, or fulfill this task. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me. So it's as though by the Spirit of God, Jesus himself is carrying out our resolves for good. 
He works in our hearts that will desire holiness, that will desire good things, that will desire to grow. And then he works in our hearts by supplying the power that we need to grow in those ways. So the desiring of the good and the fulfilling of the good is all the work of God. We partner with him in, to the extent that we yield, to the extent that we recognize this is what the Lord wants for me, and to the extent that we recognize I am limited and cannot achieve this on my own, and therefore we just rest on him. We just rely on him and watch him do his work in us. So live with resolve. Live with this settled purpose of growth and change in your life. But do it by his power. Do it with an awareness that it's God who will fulfill in you every resolve for good. And because of that, it's all for his glory. We live with resolve by God's power for God's glory. God is the one who gets the glory for this, both because he is the one who fulfilled it, as we just saw, right, that, that Paul is praying that God would fulfill every resolve for good. And because it becomes the chief purpose in our mind and heart. The most important thing to us is God be glorified in me. That's where we ought to be growing to. We ought to grow, we ought to desire growing to the point that our glory is less important. Our comfort is less important. But God's glory is the ultimate value and the ultimate goal in our lives. The glory of God is the ultimate purpose for every resolve for good and every work of faith and of God fulfilling these resolves. Look at this in verse 12. It begins with the word, so that, which I love. To this end, we always pray that God would make you worthy of his calling and that he may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. So the purpose, the reason that Paul prays that God would fulfill these resolves for good is that Jesus would be glorified, is that the glory of Jesus would be made known through you. This is all for the magnifying of his glorious perfections. It's not so that people will be impressed with us. I think sometimes we have a very, a very low aim. We make good goals with very low purposes, right? So maybe it's because we want to look good in a bathing suit or something and people, and people will be impressed by us or whatever, right? We have these very low, self-centered, self-oriented kind of reasons for the goals that we set. Paul is saying to us here, if God is going to fulfill the resolve for good, it's going to be because the purpose behind it is the glory of Jesus, not your own glory, not your own comfort or your own approval or the, the acclaim that it will earn you from people. So th this resolve for good glorifies Jesus in, in two ways, I think. First, I think Jesus is glorified in your desire uh, to live worthy of him. I think just if you have a basic desire to please God, you just want God to be glorified in you, I think that in itself glorifies God. There was some old monk that was quoted as saying, Lord, I don't always know the right thing to do, but I think the fact that I want to please you pleases you. I don't, I don't know who it is that said that, but I like that. I like the heart behind that. The fact that I want to please you pleases you.
pleases you. I think God is glorified in our desire to see him glorified. So if we're making plans and purposes and commitments for the purpose of God's glory, he is glorified in that. He's pleased by that. The second way that Jesus is glorified uh, in the fulfilling of your resolve is because, as we've already said, it occurs by his power. He's the one that does it. There's a way to live whereby our righteous living results in praise, not to ourselves, but to God. Remember Jesus in Matthew 5, 16, where he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the point of our good deeds. It's not to get uh, approval of men or to be impressive to people. It's that people would see God in us, that people would see the Lord at work. And since he is the source of our righteousness and our growth, he is glorified because when it's achieved, when it's fulfilled, we say, look what God did. Look at the commitment I made at the beginning of the year to grow, and we don't go, man, I nailed it, right? The follower of Jesus says, man, God is merciful. Man, God is kind to have fulfilled that in me this year. That's how we ought to approach these resolutions. Not just the beginning of the year, but throughout the year. It's also for his glory because we will share in his glory. This is, this is a little bit mind-blowing to me. Look at in verse 12 there where he says, so that at the, the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, which is obvious, of course. We want Jesus to be glorified in us. And then he says, and you in him. That Jesus would be glorified in you and that you would be glorified in him. This is maybe one of the most astonishing demonstrations of grace in all the gospel. He will allow us to share in his glory. That doesn't make any sense. It's his. He deserves it. He earned it. Why is he sharing it with us? There's a line in uh, a song that we sing I don't remember the name of the song now, but there's a line that says, um, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. And I, that's true. It's beautiful that, that Jesus earns glory, right? Not just by being who he is, but by suffering and defeating death and rising from the dead. And so God bestows on him the name of every name and all this. He has all of this glory that's his, and he invites us into it. Would you share in this glory with me? Will you reign with me as co-heirs and co-regents, if you will, in the kingdom of God? This is incredible grace. And all of this is, according to the end of verse 12, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace undergirds and empowers the resolving, the fulfilling, and the glory. All of it is by grace. It's by sheer kindness of God that he enables us to fulfill these resolves for good. It's all by his power. It's all for his glory. So if you want to make a New Year's resolution, by all means, you know, make, make resolutions, make these commitments, make these purposes, but resolve to live by God's power so that you may live worthy of his calling and that Jesus will be glorified in you. And I think that's a good way for us to approach these New Year's resolutions. I wanted to share with you, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll have to do this quick. Um, do you have the 
Oh, you've got it. Can I take that for you? Uh, so I want to share with you uh, an example. Uh, the example of uh, Jonathan Edwards, who Sean told me before the service there's some psychic or something. What? John Edward. Okay, yeah, not, not that guy. Not the psychic. Yeah, um, Jonathan Edwards um, was a, a pastor in, in New England in the 18th century, all right? Um, and he was one of the most important figures in the Great Awakening uh, in the 18th century, um, generally regarded as America's greatest theologian. And even by non-Christians, he's regarded as a great philosopher, so a very well-respected uh, thinker and pastor. Uh, he's known mostly in kind of popular circles as the guy who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. So people think of Edwards and they think, oh, he must have been obsessed with like judgment and hellfire and brimstone, which is not true at all. Um, in truth, Edwards' singular driving passion in life was the glory of God and living a righteous life uh, from a heart overflowing with happiness in God. That was the theme of his writing and preaching for years and years. Now, when he was like 19 or 20 years old, he wrote 70 resolutions. You might have heard of or read some of these resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Um, that, and they were, they were purposes, determinations that he was making to serve as a spiritual guide and kind of a barometer, like to test the, uh, you know, the, the health, if you will, of his soul uh, throughout the rest of his life. And he would revisit them and sort of add to them and, and that kind of thing. And so I wanted to share with you some of his resolutions um, mostly because they put our resolutions to shame. I think the, thing, the things that we kind of like aim at as goals, um, just totally, he blows them out of the water. And I think by that, it gives us um, a model in some ways to like look beyond the typical stuff and the outward stuff that we focus on and look to the, the important things, the inner things, the, the, the things of the spiritual nature to grow in. So his kind of preamble uh, to the, the resolutions is this. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And so at the very outset, he recognizes what we've talked about. I'm limited. I can't do this on my own. It's going to have to be the power of God at work within me. So to, this, to the extent that these resolutions are in agreement with his heart for me, then may he see fit to give me the grace, the power to do these resolutions. So I'm just going to share with you a random smattering of them, all right? Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Notice that he does not think of the glory of God and his pleasure and good as at odds with one another. The glory of God and his good are hand in hand, right? So he's not seeking good and profit and pleasure apart from God. He's seeking it through the glory of God, right? So I'm going to do whatever I think will most glorify God and be to my benefit. Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world, that is heaven, the, the life to come, as I possibly can, with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of, right? So he's going to live with eternity in mind to the extent that he is going to powerfully, mightily, vigorously, vehemently, violently attain happiness for himself in the life to come. 
how in the world do you do that? Well, Jesus said, store up treasures where moth and rust don't destroy, right? So living with eternity in mind and, and making decisions that have the glory of God and spiritual realities and eternal things in mind, right? Resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Never lose one moment of time. I've, I've lost a few moments of time. Resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. So he's not just thinking about eternity, he's also thinking about his own death. When death comes, when I'm at the end of my life, I want to be able to look back on my life and say, I'm glad I lived this way, right? So to have that in your mind as you're living now. Resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed, wherein I have been negligent, what sin I've committed, wherein I have denied myself, also at the end of every week, month, and year. It's kind of a self-reflection that's almost scary, right? Just to, all right, where have I messed up? Where have I fallen short? What have I neglected? It's good. Resolve to inquire every night before I go to bed whether I have acted in the best way I possibly could with respect to eating and drinking, all right? There's one of our kind of favorite New Year's resolutions things, right? It's there. Each day, did I do the best that I could have done in that area? Let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak, goodness, mercy. Resolved after afflictions, so some period of suffering, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. In other words, have I learned, have I grown through my adversity and through this suffering? Or were there things I could have learned that I didn't, that what I might have got by them? Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. To be so invested in God's word that I can sense that I'm growing, that I'm learning, that I'm, that I'm taking new steps. Resolved frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God. Frequently renew dedication, right? This has to happen all the time, not just on January 1st, right? Which was made at my baptism, which I solemnly renewed when I was received into the communion of the church, and which I have solemnly remade this 12th day of January, 1723. Resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. He's aware of his corruptions. We all have the corruptions, right? The tendencies towards sin and brokenness. I'm resolving to not give over, or like to give up, right? To give in or in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions. And he recognizes I'm not going to be successful all the time. There may be times that I give in, but I'm going to keep picking up the fight. I'm going to keep getting back in the ring, so to speak. One more. Resolved, if ever I shall fall and grow dull so as to neglect to keep any part of these resolutions, to repent of all I can remember when I come to myself again. So there may be a season of time that goes by where he was negligent of his spiritual growth and duties, when he comes back around, when he's back with the Lord again or whatever, then he'll go, okay, what can I remember from that season of time where I was not watchful over my soul and, and, and own and repent of as much as, as he can remember? I, you know, I, I, think that, um, I, I think that our resolutions, again, tend to be small. Not necessarily in the sense that we ought to be aiming at climbing mountains and things like that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with incremental steps toward growth and holiness, but I think sometimes our eyes are not on the glory of God. 
I think our eyes are on what's going to make me feel better, what's going to make me more confident, what's going to make people like me more, whatever. It's going to give me less trouble at home or at work, right? So we're doing things like that. So I, I love the example of Edwards with his eye on the glory of God and with this awareness that I'm going to mess up. Like, I'm limited. I'm not going to do this perfectly. But when I fall, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get back on uh, the, the, the horse, so to speak, and keep riding forward. So resolve is essential, right? So make resolutions. Resolve to live worthy. Resolve to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. And resolve that this can only happen if you live from your weakness, trusting in the strength of God. I'll conclude with one more uh, quote from Jonathan Edwards. In all your course, walk with God and follow Christ as a little, poor, helpless child, taking hold of Christ's hand, keeping your eye on the mark of the wound on his hands and side, whence came the blood that cleanses you from sin, and hiding your nakedness under the skirt of the white shining robe of his righteousness.